Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canan. We're live on February 14th from the studios of WMNF Tampa. Happy V-Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Today we get an update about the efforts to protect the USF Forest Preserve. You may recall a couple of years ago in the spring of 2021, we learned that the university had put out a request for information from developers, for, for developers that is, on their ideas for the land that includes the Forest Preserve and the university's golf course. But students, faculty, and the community pushed back. Eventually, a year ago, the new president of USF said, we have ended the RFI process, and an advisory committee recommended management for the preserve. So today, we're going to get an update a year later to find out what's happening with the USF Forest Preserve. So joining me by Zoom is Christian Brown. He's with the group Save USF Forest Preserve. He's a PhD candidate and a teaching assistant in the Department of Integrative Biology at the University of South Florida. Tampa campus. Welcome to Tuesday Cafe, Christian. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad you could come on and update our listeners on what has really become something that they're very much interested in, finding out the the status of the USF Forest Preserve. A couple of years ago, very many people really um, kind of paid attention to this story so that it, that it would get saved. But I do want to get an update so we know where things stand. So let's back up. For people who might not have heard of this preserve, where is the USF Forest Preserve and what's it like? Yeah, so the USF Forest Preserve is located along Fletcher Avenue. It's just north of the main Tampa campus. Um, what it's like is hard to describe if you haven't walked through it, uh, but it, I guess generally speaking, in the way we describe land, it's about 700 acres, uh, mostly wetland, but there's a lot of other habitats in there too, including some sandhill habitat, which is pretty rare in Hillsborough County. Um, the Forest Preserve is used as a natural classroom right now, but it has a very long history that I hope to get into today. Um, but the land is just absolutely spectacular. Um, there's animals and plants and flowers, uh, and it's great for taking students back there and teaching them um, not just biology, but you know about the natural world in general. We teach many different classes out there. Um, so yeah, it's a very special piece of land, um, and the location of the land is really key. So you know the size of the property; it's it's pretty large given the given its uh, relative area. It's a pretty large natural area, forested area, uh, but the location is really important because it's located along the Hillsborough River um, at the end of a natural wildlife corridor that stretches all the way back to the Green Swamp. Uh, the Green Swamp being a core conservation area in Florida, which is part of our statewide plan uh, to have humans and wildlife coexist into the future. Um, it's also important because it connects the Cypress Creek watershed to the Hillsborough River watershed. And so it's it's serving as a connector between these two habitats uh, severing that connection would create island habitats um, and, and just kind of uh, be bad for wildlife and people in general. People might be familiar with something called the Florida Wildlife Corridor, uh, which is not that far from the Tampa Bay area. But how is this connected? How is the USF Forest Preserve connected to the Florida Wildlife Corridor? Maybe you can explain that a little bit. Yeah, so the USF Forest Preserve kind of sits at the terminus of of this corridor that stretches back to the Green Swamp uh, that is the Hillsborough River. So the Hillsborough River, the headwaters are in the Green Swamp and they flow towards Tampa Bay. um, And it's actually our primary source of drinking water. So it's really important to have natural areas along the river uh, to keep the riparian zone intact. Um, It's also important for wildlife to move between habitats throughout the year. 
And so it's important here in Tampa Bay because it's our connection back to the natural world. It's our connection back to, to real Florida. Um, and, and the plan is to keep all these core conservation areas intact. Um, so that wildlife can move between them. Uh, and, and, you know, this is the USF Forest Preserve sort of serves as our connection to that entire system. And for people familiar with that area, which I imagine are most of our listeners, it's really, there's there's so much development right around there that that having this wild place right in the middle of kind of between New Tampa and North Tampa, uh, and there's so much development right right there that that having this, this island is kind of, um, I don't know, uh, a lot of people find find solace in going to Lettuce Lake Park, which is across the river from this area. Uh, speak about that, about how, how is a, as a, um, just as a wild area amid so much development that that's important to keep. Yeah, that's a great point. So if you're familiar with Lettuce Lake Park or Hillsborough River State Park, these are all along that same corridor that I was talking about. And the animals don't stay put. So when you leave Lettuce Lake Park and you go home at night, the animals don't just turn off the lights and wait for you to come back. They they have to move around and find mates and resources. Uh, and one of the places that they go from Lettuce Lake Park is straight over the river, across the river. If you look at the tree line um, from the other side of Lettuce Lake, you can see uh, the edge of the USF Forest Preserve. And so, like you said, it's a really important refuge in this highly developed and rapidly developing part of Tampa Bay. Um, and not only is it a refuge for the animals, but it's also a refuge for the people and for the students that go to USF. It kind of provides a buffer from the interstate um, and from New Tampa and all the areas that you were mentioning that are sort of blowing up and building up very quickly. Um, so it becomes more important with, with every passing day. Uh, and unfortunately, that makes it even more valuable to developers uh, and things like that. And so as the world changes around us, um, the preserve is a really important place to keep constant for wildlife and humans alike. Our guest is Christian Brown. He's with the group Save USF Forest Preserve. We're getting an update about the preserve, which seemed under threat a couple of years ago. Maybe got a measure of protection about a year ago. We're going to find out how that's uh, going right now. We're going to find that out this hour. Uh, but I'd like to hear from you as well. If you have any thoughts about this, you can email dj at wmnf.org or we're taking Live calls today on February 14th as well, 813-239-9663. If you'd like to call in with your question or to comment something about the USF Forest Preserve, I'm interested if you've been there, what you think about it. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. I'm Sean Canaan. You're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe coming to you live on February 14th from the studios of WMNF Tampa. So Christian, you mentioned earlier about water and drinking water. So how does what does uh, the drinking water situation in the Tampa Bay area have to do with the USF Forest Preserve? How does it, um, what does it do to protect our, our drinking water or to pr- provide a source of drinking water? We like to think of the USF Forest Preserve like a big sponge. And so if you spill something, the sponge is going to soak it up, uh, hopefully before it reaches our source of drinking water. And so um, serving as a buffer between the Hillsborough River, where we get our drinking water, and Temple Terrace, uh, where we inevitably have sewage spills and things like that, the USF Forest Preserve ser- serves to absorb these things before they reach the, dr- the source of our drinking water. Um, we know from Piney Point and other local disasters, um, even smaller spills that just happen on, a, on an annual scale here in Hillsborough County, you can look them up. Uh, we know that these things happen and it's unfortunate and we try to prevent them, but they do happen. And when they happen, it's really important to have these areas like the USF Forest Preserve um, to clean the water and to clean the air and things like that before it reaches us for consumption. Um, so it is like a giant sponge. There are, there are lots of trees and roots 
um, and lots of decomposition going on in the swamps and the wetlands of the USF Forest Preserve. And when that sewage leaks into the preserve, um, it's kind of held there in that sponge and cleaned by the by the wetland itself, cleaned by the plants and cleaned by the ecosystem services that the wetlands provide. You told us that some of the area of the USF Forest Preserve are these sandhill up, uplands, but there's also some marshy land there, some swampy land. So what does the USF Forest Preserve do to protect the surrounding areas from, from flooding? Oh, yeah, that's a great point. So um, it serves as a buffer for flooding as well. It absorbs these floodwaters. Um, it's not made of impervious surfaces like our roads and our buildings and our rooftops. Um, so it actually is kind of a, a natural low point on the land for the water to kind of go back to. Um, if we develop that land, we'll definitely see more flooding on the local roads and in the local neighborhoods. Um, but flood mitigation is a really important ecosystem service as well. So there's more than one ecosystem service that that land is providing. Um, cleaning the water, flood mitigation, cleaning the air, um, and just providing a natural green space in a, in a rapidly developing part of Tampa. Earlier, you talked about the long history of the USF Forest Preserve. And I think what you might be getting at there is that there have been Native American burial sites and indigenous cultural items found on that site. So tell us about that long history. Yeah, as far as we can tell, um, there's been human habitation at the USF Forest Preserve for up to 10,000 years. There's been a lot of archaeological work, um, anthropological and archaeological evidence pointing back to these things. Um, there are artifacts of, of, of human activities. Um, unfortunately, there's also looting um, and people that try to loot those artifacts. Uh, in, the, in its more recent history, the USF Forest Preserve has been logged. It has served as, as a location for cattle ranching. Um, and you can see some of these things in some aerial photos and in some historical accounts. But much more recently, uh, since USF's conception here in Tampa, um, the history is much more uh, as a natural outdoor classroom. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of potential to sort of uh, highlight the, you know, the heritage site that is there um, and protect it and sort of uh, you know, work that into the curriculum more. So, um, yeah, there's there's a long history of human habitation, but um, we're sort of focused on on what's been going on recently, trying to protect the land from more more recent threats. Christian Brown is with the group Save USF Forest Preserve. He's also a PhD candidate and a teaching assistant in the Department of Integrative Biology at the University of South Florida in Tampa. I'm Sean Canan. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe, broadcasting from the studios of WMNF Tampa. About a year ago, uh, we spoke with Jeannie Munger, who was a student member of what was called the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee. What was the role of that committee, especially in ultimately getting President Ria Law, USF President Ria Law, to end the request for information process? Yeah, so the request for information kind of caught us off guard in April of 2021. Uh, the College of Arts and Sciences teaches many classes back there. Like I said, right now, up to 13 courses, different courses, just in the College of Arts and Sciences. Um, yet we were not consulted or nobody at the College of Arts and Sciences was consulted before the RFI was published in April of 2021. Um, and this was part of the big concern and part of what led interim president at the time, Ray Law, uh, in August of 2021 to, to sort of hire an environment, environmental consultant, uh, form the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee, as you mentioned, which Jeannie Munger sat on. Um, and, and they actually sort of like did more due diligence in looking into the land and, and seeing what the prudent options were. Um, the, the effect was, was a report that 
It sort of came back that, yes, the land along Fletcher is suitable for development, uh, typically, if, if this was just any old plot of land, but that given the context of the community, given the context of the university and all of the courses that are taught out there, that it's, it might be more valuable left alone as a natural classroom and a natural laboratory. And so that's sort of the shift that we saw um, after that committee uh, kind of wrapped up and, and turned in their report is that now President uh, Ray Law and, and her administration um, have sort of ushered in this this friendly era for the USF Forest Preserve. So we're enjoying a friendly administration right now is how we like to put it, uh, which is great. And, and we're really excited about all of that. And we'll talk more about what that means, what a friendly era looks like for the USF Forest Preserve. Uh, but I want to, you know, continue, maybe, you know, one thing I didn't ask you is when, when that RFI came out, the request for information from the previous administration at the university, what was your reaction? What did, what did you think when you first found out about it? We immediately formed a group of students um, and we were, it was very informal at first. In fact, we just sat down within the forest preserve uh, with the trees and with the animals there and just sort of asked ourselves, like, what can we do? Given our strengths, given our weaknesses, given, you know, our skills, what can we do to help this place? Uh, and and what we ended up doing was forming a grassroots movement. We co collaborated with artists from USF and we collaborated with local activists and people from change.org. Uh, we formed this huge group, which is now a nonprofit that we call Friends of the University Natural Areas. Um, and Save the USF Forest Preserve was our first fight. Um, and I, we continue on, on in that fight in many ways. Uh, but yeah, we, we formed a nonprofit was sort of our response to this uh, so that we could get the word out there and collect donations and try to help the preserve in any way that we could. Uh, reaching out to, to journalists and uh, starting letter writing campaigns, to the board of trustees, we did anything and everything we possibly could. And it was an uphill battle that we really didn't know if we could win, um, but we definitely had to try. And so our response to the RFI was to was to form a student group, eventually became a nonprofit, uh, and to just get the word out there because we know that the that the community values this land. Uh, we just needed them to know what was happening. A documentary filmmaker took enough interest to make a short documentary about the efforts to save the USF Forest Preserve. And I, I meant that kind of to to get your reaction to that. Um, and but oh, I guess right. yeah, we could we could move on if 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 you have no. You oh know. no, yeah, that that was a great documentary. That was part of our our outreach campaign. Um, it's called Choke Point. You can still find it on YouTube, and I believe it won an award at the Underground Film Festival in Tampa Bay in 2021. Um, and that was uh, directed and shot by Luke Myers, uh, Brenna Robe, and, and ourselves. Uh, some of the students out there in the in the Forest Preserve. So that. Um, you know, the documentary was was wildly helpful and helped get the word out there and mostly um, brought people into the preserve. Like I said earlier, it's tough to describe the land. We can talk about acreage and we can talk about connections and wildlife corridors, uh, but there's nothing like going out there on a dewy morning and, and seeing the sun come up through the pines, right? Um, and so we sort of did that on camera and brought that to the world. And so that was very important. And I encourage everybody to go check out that, that documentary. Um, and what I'm hoping to do today is sort of give everyone an update um, since that documentary has has wrapped up and, and what has been happening in the preserve since then. Um, because like we like we said, uh, we call it the USF Forest Preserve, but there's no formal protection that makes it a preserve. In fact, it's technically the North Fletcher property. Um, and so it, we are enjoying a friendly administration right now, but there were threats long before the RFI and there will be threats long into the future. 
Um, and we need formal protection. We need some way to protect the land into the future. Before the RFI, uh, for instance, there was there was a rumor that maybe one of the past presidents wanted to build a new president's house out there at the USF Forest Preserve, and they were talked out of it by a professor. This was all folklore. None of it was was tractable. Uh, but the point being that there were threats in the past that had been thwarted kind of quietly under the table. Um, this threat became very public. But the next threat we can't imagine. We don't know what's yet to come, and we don't know what the administration will look like in 2050 or in 2100. And so one big concern that we still have as a student group and as an activist group is what's going to happen when this friendly administration is gone? What's going to happen when this friendly era ends? Um, and, we, you know, we have all the hope in the world, uh, but we also have a little bit of realism instilled in us from that last experience. Uh, and what we want is formal protection for the land to be protected for good. Uh, in perpetuity. Would that formal protection, what would that look like? What is the Friends of USF Natural Areas, your nonprofit, what are you trying to, to encourage the university to do with that land that would formally protect it? We love the idea of a conservation easement. Um, we, we can't really work within USF for that. We have to work outside of USF for that because um, USF has said that uh, they don't know if a conservation easement is possible on, on land that's already owned by the state. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of their response. I, I'm not sure how that works in terms of leasing it out for development if it's owned by the state, right? So it, you, it kind of, you can't have your cake and eat it too. How can you lease the land out and make money off of it if you don't own it, but then you kind of use that as an excuse when it comes time to protect the land formally. Um, so in terms of formal protection, we can't work with USF on a conservation easement. They've pretty much said as much. Um, but we do think a conservation easement is possible, uh, wherein the state protects the land in perpetuity and USF gets access uh, to use that land as a natural classroom uh, in perpetuity. We think this could be a great collaboration. Um, so we are working with, you know, uh, state groups and local groups, um, but USF doesn't seem interested in the conservation easement at this time. Um, there's a lot of other things that we can do together, though, and so that's sort of uh, what we're, we're working together on uh, cleaning up the preserve. We're working together on um, possibly trying to get a burn in there sometime this year. If we can, uh, it might not be possible this year, but we really need to burn the Sandhill habitat, um, and they're really working hard towards, towards those changes. Um, so the, you know, the positive administration changes that we've had uh, have just, it's been night and day. Um, they're investing in, in research, they're investing in education, they're investing in, in cleaning up the preserve and respecting the land. Um, so we're extremely happy with the direction that things are going in. We're just very concerned about what's going to happen when, you know, when our kids are students at USF um, and who's going to be the president then and what will the surrounding area be like and what will the stressors on the land look like then? Because it's only going to get worse. Has there been any staffing to take care of management of this land? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there's a new organization called ECOR. Um, it doesn't just protect the USF Forest Preserve. It also kind of protects the botanical gardens and the geoparks. So if you're familiar with the USF Botanical Gardens, they've made new hires uh, and, and new investments. There's great changes going on out there. Um, that you should look into as well. New trails and, and new things out there that are great. Um, what had happened with a lot of these resources at USF that we all know and love, like the botanical gardens and the, and the forest preserve, is that they were becoming a burden on one department. And so we we sort of reshuffled things around. And now there's this, this organization called ECOR that takes care of all three of those things, the geopark, the botanical gardens, and the USF forest preserve. Um, they've made great hires. They've made great investments. And like I said, we're very happy with all the changes that are happening. Um, so yeah, there, there, there have been new hires. There are new investments. There, there are even new signs to deter looting at the Native American cultural sites. 
Um, and there's even movements towards burning the sandhill habitat along Fletcher, um, which is fantastic. So, Explain to people why burning the sandhill habitat would be ecologically beneficial. Uh, the sandhill habitat naturally burns every few years in Florida. Uh, that was the natural cycle of things long before human habitation, uh, just because of the, the dry season and the lightning and the way that things work. Um, so a lot of these forests, like the sandhill habitat, are fire adapted. And some of the trees and some of the animals kind of need fire in order to clear the, or, uh, clear the understory out. So we don't get a bunch of palmettos up to our eyes and we get more uh, wildflowers and native milkweeds and things for monarchs and gopher tortoises and stuff like that. The problem with not burning is we get a lot of these turkey oaks and palmettos and things sort of growing up in the understory and shading out everything else, um, out competing everything else and diversity drops. And so if we burn the habitat, we can kind of keep it more natural, keep the biodiversity rates up and protect a lot of the endemic species, plants and animals that live there. Our guest is Christian Brown with the group Save the USF Forest Preserve and also with the nonprofit Friends of USF Natural History Areas. He's a PhD candidate and a teaching assistant in the Department of Integrative Biology at the University of South Florida. I'm Sean Canaan. This is Tuesday Cafe broadcasting from the studios of WMNF Tampa. We've been getting a few emails, so let me chip away at those. Richard John says as of about forest protection that he highly recommends the writings of Richard Powers. Also, someone from the 727 area code asks, Christian, how is the fishing in the preserve? (laughs) Uh, The fishing in the preserve is not recommended. I'm not sure that's a sanctioned activity right now. If you'd like to use the USF Forest Preserve for research or teaching, you can go online uh, and fill out a use permit request at uh, the USF College and Arts and Sciences website. They actually have a tab and a page just for the Forest Preserve. Uh, but we we don't want people fishing back there just because we could be doing important research in those in those little ponds and and streams. Um, but generally, not good anyway would be my personal answer. Yeah. And uh, let's see, someone else. Dave writes. Um, he writes, save more wetland plants, plant more trees, prevent more Costello Road for for rent coastal erosion, stop wrecking this planet. So I'm not sure where Costello Road is uh, that Dave is referring to. I don't know if, Christian, if that's something that you know about. I'm not familiar, no. Okay, well, thanks Thanks for writing in about that, Dave. Also, a different Dave writes in, um, uh, he, he thanks us for this topic, but he also says he thinks that the new college debacle going on right now is indicative of how you might not always have a friendly administration at USF. In fact, you could have a hostile takeover Doing to due to the governor's um, reign of terror, and he says it's so sad about what's happening at New College. Um, so I do think I think there's a salient point there that if I'd like to comment on, if that's okay, mm-hmm. and and that's that this is a very complicated issue that involves not just USF and not just the students, but the state um, and a lot of different organizations. And so one thing I've learned in this fight is that as passionate as we can be. Uh, we have to learn to work with all of these different organizations. And I highly respect uh, a lot of the people that I've met in this fight who do that very well. Uh, And I'm working on that every day, but we have to work with the state. And I understand uh, that it might not be the best uh, or the most ideal thing, but we have to do it. And so, yes, this is a complicated issue. It involves many different agencies and that's part of the problem here. And David goes on, his last point is, he says it's a bit off topic. So we'll get back to the USF Forest Preserve in a second, but David wants to know what you think about Chris Rufo, who is one of the newly appointed 
trustees on the board of uh, New College. His recent complaints about DEI programs at USF, that's diversity, equality, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at USF. Uh, Chris Rufo recently in the last few days uh, just really slammed USF for those for that department or for those programs. Do you have any thoughts about that? I think that the USF Forest Preserve and diversity and equity are all intertwined. And I absolutely do have thoughts on that. I think developing the preserve would would only hurt diversity and equality even more, right? And so you'd have people at the top making money off of that development and people at the bottom who don't even know we're benefiting from the USF Forest Preserve losing all of those ecosystem services. And I think this is a classic tale of how the environment Diversity and equity are all intertwined. Um, I absolutely support all of the DEI initiatives at USF, and I don't know about those attacks on them, uh, but that's a shame. And and we support you know preserving the forest and preserving our DEI initiatives at, at USF. The committee also, I'm going back now to the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee, which was active about a year ago, right before the interim president at the time, now the president, Rhea Law, said that the RFI process would be ended. So right before that, the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee made its recommendations. And one of those recommendations um, said that the USF Forest Preserve would likely provide a simultaneous opportunity for wetland mitigation. So Christian, what is wetland mitigation and are there negative consequences of that? Yeah, I hadn't heard anything about that. Um, I don't know that they're moving forward with that or if that was just something that the advisory board was just keeping open as a possibility. And that's something that we saw in the report that was sort of concerning to the student group. Um, yes, we did have a representative on that advisory board, but the student group was still concerned about some of the language that came out in the report, which implied that some of these things could still happen, like development on the sand hill or wetland mitigation. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure if they're moving forward with that. I certainly hope that they're not. Um, but they they sort of just left the door open for those opportunities for themselves. And that's exactly what I mean when I say um, that we're enjoying a friendly administration, but the train tracks are still in place. We are not like facing down a moving train anymore. We've sort of taken that train off the tracks. The first threat of development was the RFI. That was the train. But the university seems to have left the tracks in place for themselves, just in case. Um, and so the wetland mitigation and, and the possible uh, development along Fletcher that they kept open as possibilities, those are concerns for us. That's why we didn't just wrap this up and say, job well done and go home. Uh, the preserve is not protected in perpetuity yet. And the wetland mitigation is just one of the ways that we see that. Um, so yeah, we, we have to keep fighting. We have to keep their feet to the fire and let them know that we as a community want that preserve intact the way that it is now, um, not the way that it would be best for USF for their bottom line. But what can you say? What are your concerns about wetlands mitigation? Uh, we don't really have any concerns for USF Forest Preserve wetland mitigation at this time as a student group. Um, but yeah, we would have to look at their specific plans. Um, we know that that there's potential for maybe putting in new buildings there to support some of the new infrastructure. Um, and we would not support manipulating any wetlands to make that happen. Let me uh, 
let me read one more email here. It comes from the 239 area code. It says, uh, so glad that people are getting informed about fire in Florida. How can citizens or alumni get, invo- get involved with the Friends of USF Natural Areas nonprofit organization? Would they be able to participate in the prescribed burn? So maybe remind people again about your, your, your organization and whether you are taking people who might volunteer to help with the prescribed burn if that ever happens. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I would love for people to go to save usfforestpreserve.com. At the top right corner, there's a big button that says mailing list. If you put your name and your email address there, uh, we will definitely reach out to you anytime we have something going on. And that involved, that includes like letter writing writing campaigns or even guided hikes that we sometimes offer out there uh, with the office of of recreation at USF. Um, So go to save usfforestpreserve.com and join our mailing list. That's the best way that you can stay informed. Uh, Also follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, We're on social media at Save USF Forest Preserve. Um, so definitely follow along there. We we are not the ones burning the land. I should I should uh, make that distinction. We don't really have the authority to just come in and burn some land that's not ours. Um, when I say that they're talking about burning, that is ECOR and that new the great new hires and facilities that we were talking about uh, within the College of Arts and Sciences. Um, if you'd like to be involved with that burn, you might have to reach out to the ECOR director, Nicole Brand. Um, I'm not sure what kind of permits you would need uh, or when they would be doing that. But yeah, definitely join our mailing list. Check us out online. Check us out on, on social media um, because we'd, we'd like to, to keep working with USF to like clean up trash and burn things periodically and do little things that make the preserve great um, and not just fight to stop like the complete destruction of the preserve, but fight to keep the preserve strong and resilient. I want to remind people that our guest is Christian Brown with the group Save USF Forest Preserve. And we're talking about the, we're updating people on the status of the USF Forest Preserve. A couple of years ago, it looked like it might be in trouble. And then uh, about a year ago, it looked like it might be saved at least temporarily. So I wanted to bring Christian on to let us know an update on on this group. And Christian, we have a call from Sarasota. So uh, if you don't mind, let's take this call from Byron in Sarasota. Hi, what's on your mind, Byron? Well, I have a master's degree in geoscience. I've done groundwater studies, et cetera. Uh, I hope you realize that during the Trump administration, uh, the EPA under Trump gave Florida total control of all the wetlands, and they don't have to follow any federal guidelines. This is one of the reasons why Florida is going crazy building right now. Uh, They can do whatever they want wherever they want and whenever they want. All right. Thank you for that call, Byron. And let's uh, hear our guest, Christian. What's your response to that? Yeah, that's exactly why we're here. And that's why we're not going anywhere. And that's why we need everybody to join our group or to follow along and to support us in any way that they can. Um, because that's an, that's a perfect example of how this is a very complicated issue. Even the federal government's involved in some, in some way. And so, um, you know, navigating between all of these different agencies and, and, sort of standing the test of time in all of these administration shifts, not just at the USF level, but at the state and federal levels. This is why we're here, because the community is ultimately the one that can actually get there on foot, boots on the ground and protect this land. So yeah, it's terrible what's happening with wetlands and at the federal level, but that's why we're here um, and we'll hope for better days. But in the meantime, we're, we're here to protect the preserve. 
Thank you for that phone call from Sarasota, Byron. And uh, let me ask you this about, so when the request for information came out, Christian, it included the USF Forest Preserve, but also was included in the the request for information was the USF golf course that's adjacent to the preserve. So what is the status of the USF golf course? Is there, are there plans for development there? That would be a question for, for USF administration. We are not sure about their plans. Um, they don't really call us too regularly, but um, there's nothing happening that we can see right now or nothing that we've been able to pick up on, nothing uh, out there in the public, but uh, they could have long-term plans to develop that that golf course, absolutely. I know that it's an issue in terms of the money that it's losing. I know that they would like to turn it into a money-making situation instead. Housing is a very quick and easy way to do that. And if that is to happen, we want to have conversations about buffer zones. We want to have conversations about core conservation area. All of these things at the preserve would change. So even if you don't build in and on the preserve itself, even if it's just on the golf course, well, like we talked about earlier, the otters, the bobcats, the wildlife uses that golf course. That is called a buffer zone. It's actually like a defined term in conservation biology. Uh, And with no buffer zones, we actually lose core conservation area and we might lose wildlife and we might lose some uh, habitat quality as well. So we are concerned about the development at the CLAW, um, at the golf course, USF CLAW. Uh, It is much more likely to happen there than anywhere else. Yes. Tina in Brooksville writes in, she says she's a supporter of the USF Forest Preserve and of WMNF. So thank you, Tina. And she says, thanks so much for the guest that Christian is spot on and very well said. So thanks thanks for that comment, Tina. Uh, So Christian, before I let you go, why don't you tell our listeners about your own PhD research? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. uh, Completely unrelated. Uh, I study gliding, parachuting, and incipient forms of flight in lungless salamanders. So before I came to to USF and fell in love with the USF Forest Preserve, um, I studied salamanders that live in the tops of redwood trees in California. And one amazing thing that they can do is that they jump right out of the trees or right out of your hand uh, and they don't flip over. They can keep themselves upright and, and control their descent. Um, and that's part of what inspired me to get involved with the forest preserve in the first place is, you know, being in the redwoods, being in this iconic forest that was saved by activists in the 1970s and onward. Uh, I came here and, and it's just a very different cultural feeling. They, they, they don't respect the forest in the same way. Um, and so I found the USF Forest Preserve as a refuge. I was actually struggling with culture shock and with dealing with, with our urban environment here. And the USF Forest Preserve really provided me a place to just be um, and to, to be at one with myself and to be at one with nature again. Um, and so learning how they defended the forest in California, learning, you know, what can be done when a community is actually inspired to to get together and do it is part of what what told me we could win this fight. Uh, it's part of what got me involved in this fight. So yeah, I study lungless salamanders that glide out of the world's tallest trees, um, but it is all interconnected. I needed that forest when I got here, uh, and the USF Forest Preserve, you know, play, served that role. So yeah. So you might be able to tell us some, some give us some idea about how salamanders and amphibians in general are doing in Florida. In Florida, you know, there's a lot of different issues like invasive species um, and climate change, right? I'm not an expert on how amphibians and reptiles are doing in Florida, but I can tell you globally, it's not good. Um, And I don't think Florida is any exception. And so between chytrid fungus, climate change and, um, and loss of habitat, which Florida is sort of famous for right now, 
Um, it's not a great scenario. And I know we've, we've lost over 60% of all amphibian species since the 1960s. So that's over 60% of all species on, on the planet gone um, since 1960 for amphibians. And so it's, it's not a good story. Um, yeah, but hopefully with the USF Forest Preserve and wildlife corridors, we can at least uh, coexist with, with, what, with what's left um, and kind of s slow the bleeding is a good way to put it. And before I let you go, why don't you tell, tell our listeners one more time about your group? How can they find out more about Save USF Forest Preserve, about ECOR, and about Friends of USF Natural Areas? Yeah, you can visit saveusfforestpreserve.com and join our mailing list. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for save.usfforestpreserve. Um, and if you want to know more about ECOR and, and uh, sort of the new changes that are going on, I would check out USF's websites. Go to the College of Arts and Sciences, um, and they specifically have a tab at, uh, it's called usf.edu slash arts and sciences. Um, and if you go into the departments there, you can find the USF Forest Preserve within the Integrated Biology Department. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Christian. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all of your support and for helping us get the message out there. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for coming on. Christian Brown is with the group Save USF Forest Preserve. He's a PhD candidate and a teaching assistant in the Department of Integrative Biology at the University of South Florida. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. This is WMNF Tampa. We turn now to other Florida news. In a few minutes, we'll get an update to a series of stories we've been bringing you on Tuesday Cafe since Hurricane Ian. We'll hear more about residents of a Southwest Florida RV and mobile home park who have been displaced. So that's coming up in about six minutes. But right now we turn to another serious issue in Florida, anti-Semitism. Across Florida, anti-Semitic propaganda and hate speech has been projected onto buildings, hung from an overpass, tossed into yards in the night, Margie Menzel reports a bill before the state legislature would toughen the penalties for some of this. According to the Anti-Defamation League's annual audit of anti-Semitic incidents, Florida is the state with the third highest number of such incidents, 190 in 2021. For perspective, there were 98 such incidents reported statewide in 2017. And I wept for the fact that we have children who require armed guards to safely come to Sunday school. It's just wrong. Alicia Smith chairs the security committee of Tallahassee's Temple Israel. When the regular armed guard didn't show up on Sunday, Smith was called. Outside the classroom, parents were anxiously waiting with their children, afraid to bring them to Sunday school without an armed guard. It's not paranoia. And media reports suggest the number in Florida increased still further last year. An anti-Semitic message was projected on the outside of the TIAA Bankfield football stadium in Jacksonville. Anti-Semitic banners have been hung from interstate overpasses. Anti-Semitic flyers have been distributed in Jewish communities in South Florida. We were called as a, as a community, as a nation, to stand for the six million Jews who got murdered by Hitler's Nazis in World War II. And I think today we're called to stand for the 672,000 Jews who now live in Florida. Delray Beach Republican Representative Mike Caruso is the sponsor of House Bill 269. Under the bill, people who take actions such as defacing or damaging religious cemeteries, projecting images of religious animus onto a property without permission, or harassing others because of religious-based garments could be charged with third-degree felonies. 
every time I get a threat on Facebook, I just leave it up. You know, I get phone calls. I get it through every medium there is. But, the, you know, the ones on Facebook, my, my wife says, why don't you take them down? I said, no, that just proves the whole point. Caruso's wife is Jewish. The comments on his Facebook page say things like, quote, dismantle the Jewish oligarchy that owns the media. One calls him a traitor and says, your treasonous attempts to trample the free speech rights of Americans is duly noted and will be dealt with a harsh response. Or, this guy is trying to eliminate free speech. Go reread the First Amendment. He wants to make it a third-degree felony just for pointing out Jewish power. There's always the haters. I, I know Randy's gotten some threats. I've gotten a lot of threats. Uh, people that co-sponsor the bill. And right now, I think we've got about 25 legislators uh, co-sponsoring the bill. And they all receiving threats. It is not criticized as much as other forms of discrimination. It's sort of like, well, that's just the Jews. One of the co-sponsors of the bill is Brevard Republican Representative Randy Fine, who is Jewish. And so I think what we need to do and what we're proposing to do in Florida is to speak loudly and forcefully and say this just isn't welcome here. As of now, much of what has concerned Fine and Caruso is considered hate speech. And hate speech, no matter how hurtful or offensive, is protected under the First Amendment. Former Florida Supreme Court Justice Barbara Perianti is Jewish, too, and commends the intent of House Bill 269, and yet... I believe the main concern would be that we do not run afoul of the First Amendment, which entitles individuals and groups to engage in hate speech as long as it doesn't foment violence. Perianti belongs to a temple in Palm Beach County that, like Temple Israel in Tallahassee, has increased its security. The Anti-Defamation League reports that 2021 recorded the highest number of anti-Semitic incidents nationwide since the group started tracking them in 1979. The ADL began seeing a sharper rise in anti-Semitism in 2016, the year former President Donald Trump was elected. Reports of anti-Semitic activity have increased each year since 2018. Perianti does not name names. But she notes that one of the early steps leading to the Holocaust was the banning and burning of books. And that's why I'm so concerned about seeing in our state books that might lead to difficult conversations being banned from libraries and teachers being fearful that they're going to run afoul of um, certain mandates. Recent laws passed by the Republican-led legislature and approved by Governor Ron DeSantis have resulted in school books being challenged and pulled from shelves. There are also new rules governing how teachers discuss certain aspects of race, history, gender, and sexuality in the state's public schools. Nationally, people are politically polarized. High-profile celebrities spout racist and anti-Semitic views with few consequences. Tallahassee's Alicia Smith says there's been an uptick in harassing calls to Temple Israel, along with letters and posts to its Facebook page. And people are fearful, and people stoke those fears for their own powerful political ends, and that's how it happens. And I keep reminding my children and my grandchildren and my fellow congregants, even my non-Jewish friends, particularly my non-Jewish friends, that 
all it takes for evil to exist in the world is for enough good people to do nothing. And that's my biggest fear. House Bill 269 faces three committee stops. As yet, it has no Senate sponsor. I'm Margie Menzel. Well, thanks to Margie from WFSU in Tallahassee for that story. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, and we're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF Tampa. And you can tell us your thoughts. 813-239-9663 is the phone number. You can also text 813-433-0885. Please sign your name if you do that. And you can also DJ, sorry, email us at dj at wmnf.org. Bubba writes in and says, I'm not a big fan of Randy Fine since he's hellbent on destroying New College, but this anti-Semitism is very disappointing and sad. It would be good to get Derek Black on the show to talk about this topic. So thank you for that suggestion, Bubba. I will do some Googling this this afternoon to find out about that because it's a very important topic. I know that uh, they've been exploring it uh, at some level on uh, some other shows like Shelley's Midpoint show has talked about anti-Semitism and I'm pretty sure the Sun- Sunday Forum has uh, talked about anti-Semitism as well. So uh, we'll continue to follow this important story in Florida. So if you have any thoughts, Write us at dj at wmnf.org. We turn now to update a story we've been following for a couple of months on Tuesday Cafe, and many listeners have contacted the show about this series. It's from reporters at WGCU, the NPR affiliate in Fort Myers, about residents of an RV park in Bonita Springs who were kicked out after Hurricane Ian, and now new trailers and RVs are parked on the land where they used to live. So here's the latest report. It was filed about a week ago by WGCU's Eileen Kelly. She tells us that money is driving this change. Here's her follow-up report on how longtime renters, many of whom are have disabled disabilities, are elderly and have limited means, how they were chased away from their homes to make way for higher paying tenants. John Potts sits in his newly purchased camper and stares across the street at the remaining rubble that was his home for so many years at the Gulf Coast Camping Resort in Bonita Springs. It's hard enough that the owner of the park had Potts' mobile home bulldozed after he chased the 81-year-old off the property that he had rented for years. Now, a landowner himself, Potts still can't shake how his life and the lives of perhaps hundreds were upended in the name of helping those displaced by Hurricane Ian. New RVs started rolling into the park on Saturday. Then more came on Sunday. It's unclear when the victims of the monstrous Category 4 hurricane will be able to move in. One person I've been speaking to said a manager told her the trailers were coming last weekend and it would take some time before she could move in. Here's John Potts. I think there's 14 and there's supposed to be more coming. They start coming in Saturday and they brought them in yesterday and uh, today they've slowed down. I think it's because of the electrical system. Potts and others here at the park thought for sure that the new owner, Ralph Principi, was clearing the park of renters to make way for FEMA trailers. FEMA had been out to survey the park last fall, about the time the renters were told they were no longer welcome. But FEMA tells us in writing that it has no deal with Principi or anyone associated with the park. It's now state trailers that are being set up at the property. Regardless if it's state or federally funded, it's expected to be a financial windfall for the owner. Mike Carlos spent the past eight years living at the park. Before a steep rate hike in November, when Principi took over, Harless was paying $700 a month to rent the land and to have sewer hookups. When he was forced to move away, he had to leave his trailer there because it was too old to move. An old neighbor told him about the government-funded trailers. I don't see how they displaced some people to put them in, and they didn't need to displace us to put them in because they had a bunch of vacant lots. 
but they had that trailer park booked for the season, and they canceled all those bookings. When we first reported on this story in December, we told you about how 80 of the 260 lots were owned outright, and the rest were rented year-round or seasonally. It's those renters whose lives have been upended. It's not immediately clear how many state-funded trailers will end up at the park. Principi has not returned a phone call seeking comment. We are also waiting to hear from the state. Last week, we asked the state for the number of state-funded trailers that were headed to the park. We also asked to see the contracts to see how much the park stands to make. We will update this story when we hear back. One of the hurricane victims who's been approved to move into the park as soon as her trailer is ready has asked that we not use her name because she's afraid the deal may fall through if she speaks publicly. She applied for temporary housing from both FEMA and more recently from the state after Governor Ron DeSantis announced in early December that the state would also be providing temporary trailers. The woman was delighted to hear she'd be getting a government-backed trailer. She said she went online to learn more about her soon-to-be home. She didn't like what she was reading, which included WGCU stories about how the residents were being displaced, as well as the bad reviews from residents who were getting kicked out. She said she feels awful and wishes there was a way for her to have a temporary home without displacing so many people. She said she's conflicted and at first was unsure what to do because, as she put it, I'm pretty much homeless. WGCU will stay on top of this story and provide updates as they become available. I'm Eileen Kelly in Bonita Springs. Okay, so there's an update on that story that we've been following. The two other times that we've played uh, the the previous versions of those stories, uh, there's been a lot of response. People have called in and written in about about their outrage about what's happening to those residents, those former residents, I guess now, of that RV and trailer park. You're listening to 88.5 FM. This is WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. I want to tell you about a traffic incident that's happening in Hillsborough County. It's on I-75 northbound before State Road 60 in Brandon. The left lane is blocked there, so that's backing up northbound tra- traffic on both 301, it looks like, and on I-75. So be careful if you're driving out there. And I want to play this one last story before we get to the end of the show. And I want to hear what you think about any of these stories. Again, you can write us at dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. Today is the five-year anniversary of the mass shooting in Parkland. The Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission was established just a few weeks after the shooting. It was tasked with finding what went wrong and how to prevent future school shootings. Then Governor Rick Scott and leaders of the Florida legislature appointed the commission members, law enforcement officers, educators, state lawmakers, and parents of kids who died. Gerard Albert III spoke with one of them. First, we'll hear from Max Schechter. His son, Alex, died in the shooting. That's what we need to do to protect our children. And until we do that, kids will continue to die in classrooms. Either stop the murderer or his bullets. Our goal here today is to stop the killing before it starts. It's been, it's been hard, you know, because every every meeting I had to relive Alex being murdered all over again. It's been frustrating because of the ineptitude and the failures in Broward County, and and it's been it's been positive in that, and we've seen some positive change come out of this horrible tragedy, all in Alex's name and and the other 16 victims. Ryan Petty was the other parent appointed to the commission. His daughter, Elena, was murdered at the high school. Nothing we do will bring back our loved ones. Nothing that... This is a work of passion. This is a work of hope. 
that what we had to experience won't happen to any other families. I spoke with Petty about his work on the commission. I can't imagine what was going through your mind after the shooting. How did it come to be that Governor Scott appointed you to the commission? He told me he wanted, he didn't ever want this to happen again in Florida. And um, I couldn't think of a better way to honor my daughter. I was still reeling from the loss. Uh, I still am reeling from the loss. But the opportunity to honor her and the person that she was and was becoming um, was something I knew I needed to be a part of. This was something that was new to you. So I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts were going in. Initially, I was doubtful as to the impact the commission could have because I've seen so many of these types of tragedies around the country where a commission is impaneled, some hearings are held, and nothing is really done. And I couldn't have been more wrong. The commission has done so much in the effort to improve school safety in Florida, including pushing for statewide behavioral threat assessment standards. I'm committed to ensuring the district works diligently. The Broward County Public School Board approved the creation of a new behavioral threat assessment department under the Safety, Security, and Emergency Preparedness Division. I think they went from a place in threat management and threat assessment in Broward County where it was ineffective to just the opposite, and I think it's a model. That was Pinellas County Sheriff Bob Goltieri and former Broward County Superintendent Vicki Cartwright talking about the program during an August commission meeting last year. What can you tell me about how these threat assessments work? The goal is of these behavioral threat assessment or management teams is not to try to get a kid into the criminal, into the juvenile justice system. The goal is to understand what's going on, to assess the threat, understand what's going on in the life or lives of those that are making these threats, and then get them an intervention, get them help that they need uh, to resolve these things. And what we've learned as a commission is that these things are hard to implement. They're, they're challenging because you've got three different entities at a minimum that have to communicate and work together and collaborate to keep our schools safe. Looking ahead, what's the next thing the commission is going to focus on? Well, the threats continue to evolve. The challenge is changing the way our school districts, law enforcement, mental health professionals communicate about troubled or potentially troubled kids, uh, maybe, maybe crying out for help, let's say, or maybe looking to attack a school um, and getting those entities to communicate better. Well, that was Ryan Perry, a member of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission. His daughter, Eliana Pettit, was killed in the shooting five years ago today. He spoke with reporter Gerard Albert III. Well, you've been listening to Tuesday Cafe, broadcasting from the studios of WMNF Tampa. I want to thank our phone screener, John Dunn, and I want to thank my guest, Christian Brown, with the group Save USF Forest Preserve. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, News and Public Affairs Director at WMNF Tampa. We'll be back next Tuesday at 10 o'clock, and we have a special program. We're going to hear from several candidates for Tampa City Council. If you like the programming on 88.5 FM, please consider making a donation at WMNF.org. And if you're all fired up about education issues in Florida, we hope you stay tuned. And tomorrow, Shelly is going to host Midpoint. Next up is Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger. They're speaking with the curator of Black History at the Tampa Bay History Center. 
That's coming up after NPR News Headlines. And uh, I hope you check out the editorial by WMNF General Manager Randy Z. That's at tampabay.com. It's about World Radio Day and the WMNF Endowment Campaign. So at tampabay.com, you can see that. You can also read the latest about Andrew Warren saying that he's going to appeal the federal judge's decision not to reinstate him. So that's all on tampabay.com. After NPR News Headlines, you can hear Wavemakers. Thanks for so much for listening to WMNF Tampa. Live from 